Well, Trinity Church, my name is Todd Arnett, lead pastor here, and I just want to welcome you to this weekend, this Memorial Day weekend. We are really glad that you are joining us. As we say, and this has been even more significantly important to us in this season, we absolutely thank you for inviting us into your home. We do not discount that or see that as some negligible thing. It's a big deal, and we're grateful to be joining you. Whether you're worshiping with us on Saturday night or Sunday morning or sometime even later in the week, we're glad you're here with us right now. So we're going to continue in a series that we've been in called A People Prepared. We are going through the book of First Peter. If you have a Bible, you can find your way to First Peter chapter 3. Hilke kicked off that chapter for us, did an amazing job talking about the uh, incredible importance of living in our marriages even when we're living in persecution, even when we're struggling for walking in our faith with those around us who would be against us. It just raises to the top the importance of continuing to do our marriage well and according to God's design. So I'm grateful for the way he brought that and taught that to us last weekend. If you need notes for today, you'll notice there's a QR code below me. If you want to use a mobile device and click to that, it'll give you a link that you can pull those up digitally or print those off and, and track with us. That'll just help you keep us, uh, keep you dialed in and tracking with us a little bit better today. We have been sharing what we just call some yay God moments and have a couple updates for you that I wanted to share with you today. The first one is that of a blood drive. We have been talking about this for a few weeks. We we're so excited when the American Red Cross reached out to us and said, hey, could we use your campus and could you encourage your people to be a part of meeting a need in our local community, that of giving blood? And so we absolutely said yes. That's coming up soon. The first of two opportunities, Wednesday, June the 3rd from 1 to 7 p.m. And then later that month, June the 24th on a Wednesday, 1 to 7 p.m. If you want to sign up, there are no walk-ups. It all has to be done online in advance. Just go to the Trinity Church website, and you'll see a link uh, to the blood drive, and you'll see the different slots that are still available for you to sign up. I'm already signed up to come on uh, Wednesday the 3rd, and I'm looking forward to uh, being a part of that. Another thing, just by way of announcement, it's been really fun on Sunday afternoons, having some really great conversations with some of my friends in the ministry context. This next week, it's going to be my friend Eric Tonis. He's Trinity's friend. Eric's been here a couple times to preach. I've gotten to know Eric from our times together up at Forest Home. We were slated to be there together doing family camp next month in June, but instead we're going to have a Sunday afternoon conversation with him as well. He's a loved professor at Biola University. He's a sought-out speaker and author, and it's going to be great for just getting good perspective. So that's Sunday, the 25th of May, uh, 24th, I'm sorry, of May, and that's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Join me on Instagram Live, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. This is our series that we have been walking through, this idea of a people prepared. And I wanted to just bring your attention back to it. I love the graphic that Chris Petnack did in getting us ready. And you'll note all the people on the outside are just in kind of a non-colored black and white. But you'll notice this group in the middle 
that the graphic brings attention to, these are a people who've been prepared for what God has and the season that they were going to walk through. And what I love so much about this picture is I love what it identifies for us. We've said all along, Trinity Church has so many great resources, but I believe the greatest resource we have outside of God at work within us is the people resource the people of Trinity Church. And so I just say to you today, I'm really grateful that you're here and we want to walk through um, a little bit of this idea of how we can continue to walk in the steps that Jesus had before us. And we'll do that today. You'll notice today's sermon title, As We Revere Christ as Lord. We'll We'll tell you what that means in just a second. This series, let's remind ourselves, written by the Apostle Peter, one of the 12 who followed Jesus for three plus years. Let's remember that he wrote to a group of relatively new Christians. No one had grown up in a Christian home in the first century. They had all come to Christ later in life or, or brand new and new families. And he's writing to a group of new Christians that live in what is modern day Turkey. This group, he has reminded them consistently that they are scattered exiles, that their true home is in heaven, and where he focused, we've kind of used this alliteration, the beginning of the book is a focus on hope, hope anchored in the person of Christ. And then he begins talking about this idea of holiness, and we'll address that again today, this idea that be holy as God is holy. Then he transitions away from that vertical reality to now more of the, the horizontal to that of harmony. He says, as the people of God, the children of God, live this way towards one another. Our passage opens up with that theme. But then where we're going to go today and what has really been the theme since we were a chapter ago in the middle of chapter two is that of humility, of being able to live underneath the God-given authorities that God has placed over us in our lives and in our culture. Peter has already talked about the realities of an authorities of the government, the authorities in the workplace, and even last week as Hilke was teaching, even the authority in marriage. And so as we're walking those ideas through, he's going to double back today on this concept of suffering for doing good, and that suffering is coming at the hands of those who are persecuting the people of God. So let's do this. This is our now what statement for this week. This is what we want you to walk away with and be processing and applying throughout the week. You demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of your life when you repay evil with blessing. It's a little bit provocative, right? Because you're like, well, wait a second. That's what the litmus test is? According to our passage today, it is. Let's look in your notes. Number one today in your notes. Because blessing awaits you, you can bless those who insult you. Track that, because blessing awaits you, you can bless those who insult you. We're going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Let's do this. Read it with me. You've been doing a great job at home. I'll read it. You read it with me. Here we go. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For, now he's going to quote uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 34, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. 
but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 32, or 13, I'm sorry, who is going to harm you if you're eager for good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. So this is the biggest chunk of the passage that we're looking at today, right out of the gates. And as he's kind of walking this idea through, what we're seeing is um, these different aspects of relationship and what's happening in um, this particular sequence. He's going to quote both the book of Psalms as well as uh, the book of uh, Isaiah. Again, we've seen Isaiah quoted a lot. Listen, look at how this passage begins. It actually begins with this idea, back to the harmony idea. He talks about how they are to treat one another. Listen to these qualifiers. He gives them these directives. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. These are similar to directives that the Apostle Paul would write about related to uh, those that he was writing in local churches. And within that, um, we see that Peter gives some of those same ideas. I want to reread those, and here's the question I want you to ask yourself as I reread them. As you've been in Christian community during this quarantine, how have you been doing on these aspects that Peter says, this is how you're to treat your brothers and sisters. He begins out of the gates, for, for you all. So he's transitioning away from marriage, no longer talking to spouses. Now he's saying for all of us, this is how you should treat one another. Let me read them again and ask yourself the question, how am I doing in these areas, these facets of my relationships? Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. I got to tell you, that is a, a powerful list. I've had challenges in all five of those categories since we've been in quarantine with members of the family of God, whether it be those under my roof or those that I interact with on, in video chat or in other different arenas. And I want to say for me, as I read that list of five, they're very convicting. And they're definitely not uh, directives that I look at like, well, that, that's kind of easy or that's natural and how it's working, man. These are a challenge. And what Peter does is he shifts the attention away from the harmony that they're to have as the children of God. And he's going to come back to this humility again, this humbleness of how they're to respond to those in authority or even those who are persecuting them in this season. So they are to, they're directed, interestingly enough, to not act fairly right? Fairly is returning evil for evil, insult for insult. That, that's fair, meaning if you did this, I'm going to do this, and now maybe we're square, but at least I'm, I'm being fair. That is such our human inclination. I know it is for me. Hey, I didn't start it, but I'm surely going to finish it. I'm surely going to do something in response. But he writes instead that they're to repay evil with blessing, they're to repay evil with blessing. The Greek word interpreted here as blessing is, is almost transliterated in the English language. It's the word that we use for eulogy. Give them a good word. Now, some of us are thinking in our minds, yeah, I'll have a word for you at your funeral. Uh, that's not how this goes. It's a good word. And that's what a eulogy at a memorial service is, is people being able to say, hey, these are the characteristics, qualities, and just uh, experiences of this person that we're honoring today. So instead of coming back with evil, coming back with an insult, come back with a good word. 
come back with a blessing, a eulogy. This actually counters what many of us heard when we were young, right? I'm going to say it and you're going to fill in the blank as you're watching at home. If you can't say something nice about someone, exactly, don't say anything at all. That's what you and I heard and, and we get it, we understand. Better to bite your lip than to say something mean in response. But listen to the words of First Peter. He would take it another level and this is what he would say. If you can't say something nice about someone, find a way to bless them. If they have done something evil or insulting to you, find a way to bless them. Don't just bite your tongue and be quiet. Find a way, repay insult with blessing. Now that's way off the charts for our normal human inclination. I will say that's way off the charts. I walk around like you do in the culture and I will often see people wearing shirts about be kind and What's not to love about that, right? That's a great culture to live in if people really are going to take that seriously and be kind to one another. But this, this is well beyond kind. This is someone who is saying, hey, when you have been morally evil towards me, when you have insulted me, I'm not going to even just kind of uh, take it. I'm going to turn to you and find a way to give a good word. Find a way to give a blessing in the midst of insult. And that's what I want you to see today, that what God calls us to is beyond human intuition. I will say what God calls us to is beyond human capacity. This is something that only God can empower us to do. And why this posture? Why should we have this attitude? And and Peter, though he doesn't quote Abram and what God said to him, I believe this is where he's going. He said, God said to Abram, you've been blessed to be a blessing, but then he adds an extra piece and your future, your future includes the ultimate blessing that is still to come. Look in your notes. Let's fill this in today. We bless because we've been blessed. So we bless because we're a blessing, but we also do it because we're going to be blessed eternally. So it's almost as though we can say in this life, I can give away, I can out of the way God has blessed me, I can give that to others, but <clears throat> what I anticipate, what I, what I am absolutely confident because of what he has promised to me, all the more so it gives me the opportunity in this temporary life to bless others. So this is what Peter is saying to us, and he's referencing in doing that their living hope goes back to what we talked about in chapter one of this book, that they have this living hope that they're to cling to. Now, Peter goes on and he quotes at length a portion from Psalm 34. And I was thinking about this, um, this psalm. This is really one of my favorite psalms because of the words that it says of promise of the way that God is going to provide, but also the words of compassion. Look at a couple verses that come from that. This is from the same psalm that Peter's quoting from, Psalm 3410. Let's read it aloud. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord, and I love this last phrase, lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Talk about provision and talk about promise. As we seek God, we won't lack any good thing along the way. And then listen to these words of compassion from Psalm 34, 18. I shared this in one of my morning videos recently. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So these are the parts of Psalm 34 that I have really appreciated and why the psalm is so dear to me. But it's interesting, Peter doesn't quote that part of the psalm. 
<clears throat> he actually quotes what actually is the, the reason or, or what is the basis by which God does provide. To whom? Why God is close to the brokenhearted. Why? It's because they are a people who have turned from evil and do good. That's the portion that Peter quotes. And he says those types of provisions and that type of posture that God has is towards those who've turned away from evil, not those who retaliate with it. And like we've seen in this book so far, it just wouldn't be right if Peter didn't quote from the book of Isaiah. And he quotes from Isaiah 8. I wanted just a very brief line. Let me give you the bigger context because it's powerful. And the people who were hearing this would have understood more than just a very short phrase. They would have seen this part of Isaiah 8 when Peter was quoting. Isaiah 8, 11, read it with me. This is what the Lord says to me uh, with his strong hand upon me warning me not to follow the way of this people. And look what the way of the people was. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. <clears throat> do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. But look why. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. There's that word again from 1 Peter 1. He's the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear he is the one you are to dread. So this is what we're looking at in this passage is we're seeing Peter say the reason that you should have a posture of being able to bless those who ridicule you, who insult you, who do evil to you is number one, because God has blessed you to be a blessing in return and he's promised you an eternity of blessing around his throne so that gives you the ability, but also don't be afraid of what people around you can do. Be thoughtful, be in reverent awe of the God who absolutely is the one that you are to have a holy fear for. So that's how we begin our passage today. Let's move on to the next uh, point in your notes. <clears throat> Number two, you honor Christ when you answer critics like he did. You honor Christ when you answer critics like he did. This is a verse that many of us know well. Let's read it aloud. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Let's start with that phrase as we begin uh, this segment of the passage today. Um, what Peter has done at the first part of what we've looked at is he's told them negatively what to disengage from. Don't do this. Don't give in to fear and don't respond with evil. But now he's going to give an engagement principle. This is what you should do instead. And what's fascinating is, is how he begins it. He doesn't just begin it with a directive, do this. He says, no, it begins with your attitude and your posture, not towards these other people, but towards your master towards your Lord. This word revere, revering Christ as Lord, it's the Greek word for to sanctify or to hallow, it's to make holy. It's the same word we saw in chapter one. And so now it's being used as an imperative verb, do this thing, and it recalls back to that idea as understanding God is who he is, recognize that he is holy, that he is set apart for a purpose. And when you come back to terms with recognizing who it is that is giving this directive, it's not Peter. 
Peter's writing on behalf of the risen Savior, Jesus, and what Peter is saying is when you realize where these words are coming from, where these directives are coming from, you realize that Jesus is not the great suggester, but instead Jesus is your great master. That's what the word Lord means. We use that word a lot in our church language. Oh, Jesus is Lord. And we, lo we love saying that phrase. And it's a good phrase. But what we're saying is, Jesus is my master. That's what it is. Not just Lord of things around me, Lord of my life. So Peter begins, recognize the lordship, the authority, the right that Jesus has to be able to direct your path. Especially in light of suffering. So within that reality, then what we have is what I just call the apologist's favorite verses in the Bible are these from 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Always be prepared to give an answer. It's the idea of being readily prepared, standing by, ready to meet the challenge at hand. That's what that phrase is. And it's interesting. It says, be ready to do this, to, to give an apology, an apologia is the Greek word. And it's interesting. Here's what that word means. It means the idea of a well-reasoned reasoned reply, a thought-out response that adequately addresses the issues. So you have to track this. In our modern-day English, our word for apology is nothing like what this Greek word means. An apology in classical times had nothing to do with the saying, I'm sorry, but rather was a reasoned argument or defense that presented evidence and supplied compelling proof. So just know that. That's what Peter is saying. And that's, I've, I've joked with you before. I remember the first time I interacted with a guy at a conference and he said, you know, we need to be a good apologist. And I said, I'm not apologizing to anybody. That just showed you I didn't understand what the Greek word meant and this Christian term versus our English word. The first century in the Koine Greek and apologia, be able to give a well-reasoned response. That's what the word means. And then this is what it says. It gives the context, and interestingly enough, a response is another way of saying an answer. So do this to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let's backtrack. First century Christians in, this, in what we call modern-day Turkey that Peter's writing to, they were being persecuted because they believed that following Jesus and living according to his ways that made it exclusive to not be able to live according to some of the things in the culture, did not make it uh, according to be able to live under the leadership of a Caesar who said Caesar is Lord, were persecuted for taking that stance. And as they did, this is the challenge that they were facing. And, and at times, they would not give in. They would not say, I'm just going to cave in and, and just go with the flow and I don't want any more trouble. They would stand strong and they would say, no, I cannot do that. Or no, I cannot say that. Or yes, we need to do this. So as a result, those who were persecuting this group of new Christians were confused. Why don't you just give in? Why don't you just give up, surrender, and stop this way of life so that you don't have these problems, so that we don't persecute you? And, and in that moment, when they were asking that kind of question, Peter says, be ready with a response and let them know the reason for the hope that you have. It wasn't a debate. It was in the midst of suffering this is why I'm not letting go of Jesus. And it's all about my hope that's rock solid in him.
Many of us at Trinity Church have a real passion, many of you do, for being an apologist in various um, different relational environments or with maybe different extended family members or different friends that you interact with, and I love that. And I know if that's you, you are really strong. Because earlier this week, really to me, one of the all-time just great examples of someone who lived out this life of being an apologist in the very best way, someone who really was answering the questions that people asked, was Ravi Zacharias. Ravi passed away earlier this week as he had been battling a rare form of cancer for a few months. And I remember when I got the news this week that Ravi had passed away, where my mind instantly went back to was the late summer of 2002. I was incredibly blessed to be invited by a friend of mine to be a part of Ravi's Summer Institute at Oxford. Some of you right now are so incredibly jealous of me. You've never heard me share that before. But I had two weeks at Oxford with uh, RZIM, uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Ravi and his team being able to share, hey, as we're interacting with a very post-Christian culture, these are ways that we can share truth in a gracious way. And that is so true of the way that Ravi was and in the way that Uh, the people from his team were, they depicted the rest of that verse. And I think actually in my my, um, notes, I missed it. So let me come back to it. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Um, This is how the posture of an apologist is to be. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Um, that posture definitely was something that Ravi had demonstrated well. His team was so good at not losing their cool, not turning into debaters, but being people who genuinely loved those that they were reasoning with. And that's uh, very much a loss in our Christian community this week. Absolutely not a loss for Ravi. He's never been better off. Now, I say to you to this, we have been talking the last few weeks about the suffering that we are going through as a people is not so much because we're Christians. That's one place that there's a distinction. It's apples, oranges, but we're suffering because we're Californians. We're suffering simply because we live in a place right now that has some really just significant health concerns as well as some quarantine issues that go along with that that make it very, very challenging. And what I want to do for just a moment, I I just kind of want to take off my preacher hat, and I want to put on my pastor hat. And I want to do that with you today, and I just want to talk to you. Because when we talk about the idea of suffering, though it might not be for our faith, it's suffering nonetheless. I got to tell you that for for me, there have been, like you, different markers along the way of just great forms of encouragement that have spoken to me. And one of those is a song called The Blessing that comes from Elevation Church, an album that was just released a week or so ago called Graves into Gardens. And uh, I was listening, I love that song, but I was listening to this song, The Blessing, and there was something about it as it's very repetitious, and as it gets to this bridge, it just says again and again with great emotion, he is for you. He is for you. So I want to... I want to lean in a little bit today. I want to get down here in this position that not only is the way I would love to talk to you one-on-one, 
But I also want to share with you that I am someone who is deeply needed to hear that God is for me. So I want it to be a source of encouragement to you today for some of the different scenarios that I know you, the people of Trinity, are walking through. For those of you who are sick and isolated, I want you to hear today that he is for you. For those of you who are sick of being isolated, I want to say to you today, he is for you. For those of you who've lost a job in this challenging COVID-19 season, I want you to hear from me today, he is for you. For those of you who have lost a business or are about to, I want you to hear today that he is for you. For those of you who are battling on the front lines of this medical crisis, not only do I want to thank you today, but I want you to know that he is for you. To those who have um, been separated by death from a loved one in a, such an incredibly extra challenging time, I want you to know that he is for you. For those who are struggling in your marriage, I want you to know that he is for you. For those of you who are struggling in your parenting, I want you to know that he is for you. For those of you who are struggling with your parents, that absolutely is happening just as much. I want you to know that he is for you. For those of you who are struggling with escapist behaviors and addictions that are especially running rampant right now, I want you to hear today that he is for you. For those who are desperately wanting to be near people, loved ones that are far away that you can't be with right now, he is for you. For those of you who've missed out on celebrating significant milestones or birthdays recently, I want you to know that he is for you. For those of you who are not getting to graduate from high school or college that you, like you had expected to, I want you to hear from me today that he is for you. Now, when I say that he is for you, sometimes that actually gets expressed in interesting ways that are by us, the people of God, being his hands and his feet. This week, our high school student ministries went around and put yard signs in every graduating senior's front yard. I just said, hey, we're proud of you. We are for you. I love that. My daughter, Kendi, got one this week. It was just such a great form of encouragement. I want to thank you guys for doing that. I also want you to know you'll be hearing more details, but a couple weeks from now, three weeks from now, on Sunday, June the 14th, we're going to host a drive-by graduation celebration for our graduating high school students. And you know what? That's going to be an opportunity for you and I to be the hands and feet of Christ in the lives of graduating students who can know in a very powerful, significant way, he is for you. I just wanted to take some time to encourage you on that front today because I know you need encouragement, just like I do. And within that, I want to remind you, one of our core values is this idea. I'm sorry, let me get back to where I should be. Your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. If there was ever a verse, be ready to give an answer to those who ask you about the hope that you have, this core value aligns with that, that your, your calling is to be a person who influences your world with Jesus. But I, I want you to hear, though that's absolutely true in the realm of apologies, 
of being an apologist, it's also true when you're going through times of suffering and you're being real about that and you keep entrusting yourself to a God who loves you, when you're being someone who keeps asking him for strength to rely upon his power to keep going on, when you live a life that reflects the idea that you know that he's for you, that's a powerful way to influence an unbelieving world who's suffering as well and they see something in you that they don't know how to explain. By the way, when we see Peter writing these words to these new Christians in the area who are suffering for their faith and he's giving them encouragement for how they're to respond with gentleness and respect, I want you to hear from me today. There's, he's simply uh, parroting the words that he heard Jesus say himself. Look back to what Peter heard firsthand from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Read it with me. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus speaking, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Read it with me. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Are not even the most just God disdaining people on the planet doing that? If you greet your own people, what more are you doing than others? But don't even pagans do that. But I love this last line and I hate it. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. You read that line and, and it causes you to just kind of go, oh yeah, Todd, that was hard until you got to that part, but then that last part's difficult. There's no way I can be perfect like God. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, nor can I, but I want to help you. That Greek word to be perfect is the Greek word teleos, and it means to be mature, to be complete. Now, that may be not helping us. I'm not, not going to be mature and complete like God. But listen, I love it. It's so illustrated well by our English word and our English concept of the telescope, the teleos scope. And as you think about those, especially back in the day, if you go back to your, your good old pirate movies, every pirate telescope had an extension. And as it further continued to go out, it was further um, living out its true purpose and living out its potential. Your teleos might be right here today. Your degree of being mature and complete in Christ. And I want to encourage you what Jesus is saying, what Peter is saying, keep trusting God for the other stages of that telescope to keep going out as you live a life, what? Revering Christ as Lord. Finally, today in your notes, number three, if you suffer for doing good, it won't catch God by surprise. If you indeed suffer for doing good, it won't catch God by surprise. Here's our last verse in our passage today. Read it with me, 1 Peter 3, 17. For it is better, it's making a comparison, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I want you to think about that. Peter's giving a comparison. He's like, hey, if there has to be a choice in the matter, this whole passage has been about not retaliating with evil, not retaliating with anger. So there has to be a choice of either doing that or instead suffering for doing good. It is better. It is better to suffer for doing good. And watch this, if it is God's will. 
my uh, theology of pain and suffering was about the same way all the way until I was uh, a new youth pastor up in Oregon. Joanna and I were married. We had Jackson as our only child, our young son at the time. And it was through the events that God used to get us up there that I learned a lot about trials. And I, I began to take hold of James 1. But before that, this is kind of what I thought. You could boil it down to two ideas. This is what I thought about pain. Number one, it's to be avoided at all costs. I don't want anything to do with painful circumstances in my life. And number two, usually pain, if I would go back and look at something, it was because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So besides avoid pain at all costs, avoid wrong places and wrong times. That was kind of my, if you just simplify that, my theology of suffering. It was a pretty poor theology and totally unbiblical. Because then I read in James chapter one that God has purpose in my pain. God is up to something. He's developing me a perseverance, watch, so that I might be mature and complete. The teleos. So I might be mature and complete, watch, not lacking anything. Isn't it interesting? That's what we said earlier today from Psalm 34. Those who trust the Lord lack no good thing. We lack no good thing. We are complete, not lacking anything. As we let God do his work in us, throughout the course of suffering. It's part of the plan. It's part of the way that God helps us become who he's designed us to be. And what I want you to consider today, a phrase that we have been saying often throughout this series, is as we're looking not only under the idea of submitting to those in authority, the idea that God is in control of who's in control, but I want you to see this, he's also in control when your life seems out of control. Not only is God in control of who's in control, he's in control of your life when it seems out of control. And some of us, because of some of the things I was just identifying a few moments ago, you feel like your life is spinning out of control. And to whatever degree I can understand that, I understand. I'm, I don't think small of that. I don't dismiss that. This is a rough season, unlike anything we've ever experienced before. And so within that, what I want you to know, that there is a purpose to what God is doing. I can't tell you what it is, even in my own life yet. But I know that God is up to something. I know that there's purpose in your pain. You've heard the phrase before that no good deed goes unpunished. Right, that's a kind of a common sarcastic line. And what it means is, hey, even when you try to do something kind for some other person, some good deed, that it's either going to be misunderstood, criticized, or even you'll get punished for doing so. And many of us have illustrations of such things where you just have to chalk it up. I'm really sorry I even tried. That's how it goes. <clears throat> well, within that idea, I want you to think back to the first century. I want you to think of this, young, this group of young Christians and what they were going through. Let's kind of go back through these last couple chapters in the book. They were dealing with the challenges of how to, how to um, have this kind of harmony with one another, how to live as the people of God, even though they were putting their trust in the God they couldn't see. Remember, Peter affirms them of that in 1 Peter 1, that he has great admiration for the fact that they have a faith in a God they haven't seen. Can I say what's interesting about that? Is that that's something you and I can relate to. That's also true of us. Peter, he'd walked with Jesus, we have not. But yet your faith is still in him. 
Then the same group of young Christians are dealing with authorities, dealing with those over them that are causing them to have to suffer for doing good. They're dealing with the challenges uh, of being persecuted and even dealing with trying to submit to the authorities over them. And what's interesting, under that idea of submitting under authorities, that's something you and I can also relate to. Whether it be our government, our workplace, or even in our marriage, those things are challenging. But then finally, that idea that they would actually suffer for doing good, not just suffer to even suffer, but for doing something to want to please and obey God. There would be a suffering component. I think when we get to that point, that's where the disconnect is for us. Many of us can't even begin to relate to that. And I want you to see as you get into their first century sandals, and I'm sure that they were struggling with questions like, God, how is this happening to me? I'm not a criminal and yet I'm suffering for obeying you. God, how is this happening to me? I'm not hurting anyone, I'm actually trying to help, but I'm suffering as a result. God, I'm not someone who's lashing back in anger, but I'm still suffering for doing good. I know they must have been in some places that were very challenging, even emotionally and psychologically at a deep soul level. God, what are you doing and what is happening? It must have been very, very hard for them to process. And all of these factors would be understandable and it'd be an understandable cause for them to be very frustrated with their circumstances and even begin to question the value. Why am I following this Jesus anyway? If it weren't for the fact that their leader went through the same things. Like we saw a couple of weeks ago, remember it was God's will to allow Jesus to suffer. And in the course of his suffering, through his broken body, through his resurrection, he created a way for us to be right with God. It, it had an incredible payoff as it related to us. This is what Peter said. Uh, we saw this a, a couple weeks ago. Not only did Jesus provide for your pardon, but he also provided a pattern that you might follow in his steps. There should be a degree of expectation that as our leader suffered for doing good, and his good meant the world to us, so we as his followers will not only most likely suffer, but we know how, how to suffer well, because we have his pattern, we have his example. So what ultimate good will come out of you suffering for doing good? I want to tell you clearly today, God knows. God knows, I don't, but God knows, and he's up to something that's gonna produce something valuable in your life. The thought today I'd leave you with is I don't think this is gonna be a question of if in your life, but simply when. And my hope is that today might prepare you for that time. So you'd be ready to say, Jesus, let me remember above everything else, you are Lord of my life. <clears throat> this is how we do that in real ways. You demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of your life when you repay evil with blessing. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, we come before you today as your people, just even taking some moments today to consider the fact that we're hurting. God, we're in week 10 of a quarantine that is now getting to some stages for us. Maybe some of us felt it at week four. Others of us still haven't felt the full weight of it, but I know in my life this week, this has hit home. And so God, what I wanna pray for us is that we would not give up, 
What I want to pray for us is that we would become more reliant on your spirit than ever, not only for the strength to keep on keeping on, but for the ability, God, to entrust ourselves, our future, our eternity, put it in your hands and keep saying, this is worth it. This is absolutely worth it. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are for us. If you're here today watching, and I've talked a lot today about being a child of God, being in the family of God, and you would honestly say, Todd, I don't think that's true of me. I've never, I've never, it's not about doing something, but I've never responded, responded to the invitation of God's gracious gift. If you want to do that today, before you even leave where you're watching from, A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believe, believe that Jesus is the only savior available. And C, choose. Choose to put your faith in a Jesus who gave everything for you. I want to encourage you, make that decision before you even get up from where you're at. Father, we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your strengthening and abiding love in us. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.